part seven of abraham lincoln a commemoration by various this librivox recording is in the public domain part seven promises of the declaration of independence and abraham lincoln eulogy on abraham lincoln before the municipal authorities of the city of boston june one eighteen sixty five eulogy by charles sumner part one think nothing of me take no thought for the political fate of any man whomsoever but come back to the truths that are in the declaration of independence you may do anything with me you choose if you will but heed these sacred principles you may not only defeat me for the senate but you may take me and put me to death abraham lincoln crosby's life of lincoln page thirty three they colored people having the ballot would probably help in some trying time to come to keep the jewel of liberty in the family of freedom ibid letter to michael hahn of louisiana march thirteenth eighteen sixty four mcpherson's political history of the united states during reconstruction page twenty note omnia incrementa sui sibi debuit vir notivasis nobilissime velius patricolus historia lib two cap eighty four number eight offensarum enigmiti tearumque minima memor executorve suetonius vespasianus cap fourteen in the universe of god there are no accidents from the fall of a sparrow to the fall of an empire or the sweep of a planet all is according to divine providence whose laws are everlasting no accident gave to his country the patriot we now honour no accident snatched this patriot so suddenly and so cruelly from his sublime duties death is as little an accident as life never perhaps in history has this providence been more conspicuous than in that recent procession of events where the final triumph is wrapped in the gloom of tragedy it is our present duty to find the moral of the stupendous drama for the second time in our annals the country is summoned by the president to unite on an appointed day in commemorating the life and character of the dead the first was the death of george washington when as now a day was set apart for simultaneous eulogy throughout the land and cities towns and villages all vied in tribute since this early observance for the father of his country more than half a century has passed and now it is repeated in tribute to abraham lincoln thus are washington and lincoln associated in the grandeur of their obsequies but this association is not accidental it is from the nature of things and because the part lincoln was called to perform resembled in character the part performed by washington the work left undone by washington was continued by lincoln kindred in service kindred in patriotism each is surrounded in death by kindred homage one sleeps in the east the other sleeps in the west and thus in death as in life one is the complement of the other the two might be compared after the manner of plutarch but it must suffice for the present to glance only at points of resemblance and of contrast so as to recall the parts they respectively performed each was head of the republic during a period of surpassing trial and each thought only of the public good simply purely constantly so that single-hearted devotion to country will always find a synonym in their names 
each was national chief during a time of successful war each was representative of his country at a great epoch of history here perhaps resemblance ends and contrast begins unlike in origin conversation and character they were unlike also in the ideas they served except as each was servant of his country the war conducted by washington was unlike the war conducted by lincoln as the peace which crowned the arms of the one was unlike the peace which began to smile upon the other the two wars did not differ in scale of operations and in tramp of mustered hosts more than in the ideas involved the first was for national independence the second was to make the republic one and indivisible on the indestructible foundation of liberty and equality the first cut the connection with the mother country and opened the way to the duties and advantages of popular government the second will have failed unless it consummates all the original promises of the declaration our fathers took upon their lips when they became a nation in the relation of cause and effect the first was natural precursor and herald of the second national independence became the first epoch in our history whose mighty import was exhibited when lafayette boasted to the first consul of france that though its battles were but skirmishes they decided the fate of the world the declaration of our fathers entitled simply the unanimous declaration of the thirteen united states of america is known familiarly as the declaration of independence because the remarkable words with which it concludes made independence the final idea to which all else was tributary thus did the representatives of the united states of america in general congress assembled solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states that they are absolved from all allegiance to the british crown and that all political connection between them and the state of great britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor to sustain this mutual pledge washington drew his sword and led the national armies until at last by the treaty of peace in seventeen eighty three independence was acknowledged had the declaration been confined to this pledge it would have been less grand much as it might have been to us it would have been less of a warning and trumpet note to the world there were two other pledges it made one was proclaimed in the designation united states of america which it adopted as the national name and the other was proclaimed in those great words fit for the baptismal vows of a republic we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed by the sword of washington independence was secured but the unity of the republic and the principles of the declaration were left exposed to question from that early day through various chances they were assailed and openly dishonored until at last the republic was constrained to take up arms in their defence 
and yet since enmity to the union proceeded entirely from enmity to the great ideas of the declaration history must record that the question of the union itself was absorbed in the grander conflict to uphold the primal truths our fathers had solemnly proclaimed such are the two great wars where these two chiefs bore each his part washington fought for national independence and triumphed making his country an example to mankind lincoln drew a reluctant sword to save those great ideas essential to the life and character of the republic which unhappily the sword of washington failed to put beyond the reach of assault by no accident did these two great men become representatives of their country at these two different epochs so alike in peril and yet so unlike in the principles involved washington was the natural representative of national independence he might also have represented national unity had this principle been challenged to bloody battle during his life for nothing was nearer his heart than the consolidation of our union which in his letter to congress transmitting the constitution he declares to be the greatest interest of every true american then again in a remarkable letter to john jay he plainly says that he does not conceive we can exist long as a nation without having lodged somewhere a power which will pervade the whole union in as energetic a manner as the authority of the state governments extends over the several states but another person was needed of different birth and simpler life to represent the ideas now impugned washington was of ancient family traced in english heraldry some of his ancestors sleep in close companionship with the noble name of spencer by inheritance and marriage he was rich in lands and let it be said in respectful sorrow rich also in slaves so far as slaves breed riches rather than curses at the age of fourteen he refused a commission as midshipman in the british navy at the age of nineteen he was adjutant-general with the rank of major at the age of twenty-one he was selected by the british governor of virginia as commissioner to the french posts at the age of twenty-two he was at the head of a regiment and was thanked by the house of burgesses early in life he became an observer of form and ceremony always strictly just according to prevailing principles and at his death ordering the emancipation of his slaves he was more a general and statesman than philanthropist nor did he seem inspired beyond the duties of patriotism to active sympathy with human rights in the ample record of what he wrote or said there is no word of adhesion to the great ideas of the declaration such an origin such an early life such opportunities such a condition such a character were all in contrast with the origin early life opportunities condition and character of him we commemorate to-day abraham lincoln was born and until he became president always lived in a part of the country which at the period of the declaration of independence was a savage wilderness strange but happy providence that a voice from that savage wilderness now fertile in men was inspired to uphold the pledges and promises of the declaration the unity of the republic on the indestructible foundation of liberty and equality was vindicated by the citizen of a community which had no existence when the republic was formed his family may be traced to quaker stock in pennsylvania but it removed first to virginia and then as early as seventeen eighty to the wilds of kentucky 
which at that time was only an outlying territory of virginia his grandfather and father both lived in peril from indians and the former perished by their knife the future president was born in a log house his mother could read and perhaps write his father could do neither except so far as to sign his name rudely like a noble of charlemagne trial privation and labor entered into his early life only at seven years of age for a very brief period could he enjoy school carrying with him dilworth's spelling-book one of the three volumes that formed the family library shortly afterwards his father turned his back upon that slavery which disfigured kentucky and with his poor effects and the future chief magistrate set his face towards indiana already guarded against slavery by the famous northwestern ordinance reaching the chosen home in a land of liberty the son who was less than eight years old aided his father in building a shelter of poles fastened together by notches and filled in with mud this preceded the log cabin where for twelve years afterwards he grew in character and knowledge as in stature learning to write as well as read and especially enjoying bunyan's pilgrim's progress aesop's fables weems life of washington and the life of henry clay at the age of ten he lost his mother at the age of nineteen he became a hired hand at eight dollars a month on a flatboat laden with stores for plantations on the mississippi and in this way floated on that lordly river to new orleans little dreaming that only a few years later ironclad navies would at his command float on the same proud stream here also was he learner from the slaves he saw on the banks he took a lesson of liberty which gained new charms by the comparison with slavery in eighteen thirty the father removed to illinois transporting his goods in a wagon drawn by oxen and the future president then twenty-one years of age drove the team another cabin was built in primitive rudeness and the future president split the rails to enclose the lot in our history these became classical and the name of rail splitter more than the degree of a college not that the splitting of rails is any way meritorious but because the people are proud to trace aspiring talent back to humble beginnings and they found in this tribute new opportunity to vindicate the dignity of free labor and repel the insolent pretensions of slavery his youth was now spent and at the age of twenty-one he left his father's house to begin the world a small bundle a laughing face and an honest heart these were his simple possessions together with that unconscious character and intelligence which his country learned to prize in the long history of worth depressed there is no instance of such contrast between the depression and the triumph unless perhaps his successor as president may share with him this distinction no academy no university no alma mater of science or learning nourished him no government took him by the hand and gave him the gift of opportunity no inheritance of land or money fell to him no friend stood by his side he was alone in poverty and yet not all alone there was god above who watches all and does not desert the lowly plain in person life and manners and knowing absolutely nothing of form or ceremony for six months with a village schoolmaster as his only teacher he grew up in companionship with the people with nature with trees with the fruitful corn and with the stars 
while yet a child his father had borne him away from a soil wasted by slavery and he was now citizen of a free state where free labor had been placed under safeguard of irreversible compact and fundamental law and thus he took leave of youth happy at least that he could go forth under the day-star of liberty the early hardships were prolonged into manhood he labored on a farm as hired hand and then a second time in a flatboat measured the winding mississippi to its mouth at the call of the governor of illinois for troops against black hawk the indian chief he sprang forward with patriotic ardor most prompt to enlist at the recruiting station in his neighborhood the choice of his associates made him captain after the war he became surveyor and to his death retained a practical and scientific knowledge of this business here again was a parallel with washington in eighteen thirty four he was elected to the legislature of illinois and three years later was admitted to the practice of the law he was now twenty-eight years old and under the benignant influence of republican institutions he had already entered upon the double career of lawyer and legislator with the gates of the mysterious future slowly opening before him how well he served in these two characters i pause not to tell it is enough if i exhibit the stages of advance that you may understand how he became representative of his country at so grand a moment it is needless to say that his opportunities to study as a lawyer were small but he was industrious in each individual case and thus daily added to his stores of professional experience faithful in all things most conscientious in conduct at the bar so that he could not be unfair to the other side and admirably sensitive to the behests of justice so that he could not argue on the wrong side he acquired a name for honesty which beginning with the community where he lived became proverbial throughout his state while his genial mirthful overflowing nature apt at anecdote and story made him where personally known a favorite companion his opinion on public questions were formed early under the example and teaching of henry clay and he never departed from them though constantly tempted or pressed by local majorities in the name of a false democracy it is interesting to know that thus early he espoused those two ideas which entered so largely into the terrible responsibilities of his last years i mean the unity of the republic and the supreme value of liberty he did not believe that a state in its own mad will had a right to break up this union as reader of congressional speeches and student of what was said by the political teachers of that day he was no stranger to those marvellous efforts of daniel webster when in reply to the treasonable pretensions of nullification the great orator of massachusetts asserted the indestructibility of the union and the folly of those who assail it on the subject of slavery he had the experience of his own family and the warnings of his own conscience naturally one of his earliest acts in the legislature of illinois was a protest in the name of liberty at a later day he was in congress for a single term beginning in december eighteen forty seven being the only whig representative from illinois his speeches during this brief period have the characteristics of his later productions they are argumentative logical and spirited with quaint humor and sinewy sententiousness his votes were constant against slavery 
for the wilmot proviso he voted according to his own statement in one way and another about forty times his vote is recorded against the pretense that slaves are property under the constitution from congress he passed again to his profession the day was at hand when all his powers enlarged by experience and quickened to highest activity would be needed to repel that haughty domination already overshadowing the republic the next field of conflict was in his own state with no less an antagonist than stephen a douglas at that time in alliance with the slave power the too famous kansas and nebraska bill introduced by the latter into the senate assumed to set aside the venerable safeguard of freedom in the territory west of missouri under pretense of allowing the inhabitants to vote slavery up or to vote it down and this barbarous privilege was called by the fancy name of popular sovereignty the champion of liberty did not hesitate to denounce this most baleful measure in a series of popular addresses where truth sentiment humor and argument all blended as the conflict continued he was brought forward for the senate against its able author the debate that ensued is one of the most memorable in our political history whether we consider the principles involved or the way it was conducted it commenced with a close well-woven speech from the republican candidate showing insight into the actual condition of things in which were these memorable words a house divided against itself cannot stand i believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free i do not expect the union to be dissolved i do not expect the house to fall but i do expect it will cease to be divided it will become all one thing or all the other here was the true starting point only a few days before his death in reply to my inquiry if at the time he had any doubts about this declaration he said not in the least it was clearly true and time has justified me with like plainness he exposed the douglas pretense of popular sovereignty as meaning simply that if any one man choose to enslave another no third man shall be allowed to object and he announced his belief in the existence of a conspiracy to perpetuate and nationalize slavery of which the kansas and nebraska bill and the dred scott decision were essential parts such was the character of this debate at the beginning and so it continued on the lips of our champion to the end the inevitable topic to which he returned with most frequency and to which he clung with all the grasp of his soul was the practical character of the declaration of independence in announcing the liberty and equality of all men no idle words were there but substantial truth binding on the conscience of mankind i know not if this grand pertinacity has been noticed before but i deem it a duty to declare that to my mind it is by far the most important incident of that controversy and perhaps the most interesting in the biography of the speaker nothing previous to his nomination for the presidency is comparable to it plainly his whole subsequent career took impulse and complexion from that championship and here too is our first debt of gratitude the words he then uttered live after him and nobody now hears how he had battled without feeling a new motive to fidelity in support of human rights as early as eighteen fifty four in a speech at peoria 
against the kansas and nebraska bill after denouncing slavery as a monstrous injustice which enables the enemies of free institutions to taunt us as hypocrites and causes the real friends of freedom to doubt our sincerity he complains especially that it forces so many really good men amongst ourselves into open war with the very fundamental principles of civil liberty criticizing the declaration of independence thus according to him criticism of the declaration was the climax of infidelity as citizen mr douglas opened the debate on his side at chicago july ninth eighteen fifty eight by a speech where he said among other things i am opposed to negro equality i repeat that this nation is a white people i am opposed to taking any step that recognizes the negro man or the indian as the equal of the white man i am opposed to giving him a voice in the administration of the government thus was the case stated for slavery to this speech the republican candidate replied promptly and did not forget his championship quoting the great words we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal he proceeds that is the electric cord in that declaration that links the hearts of patriotic and liberty-loving men together that will link those patriotic hearts as long as the love of freedom exists in the minds of men throughout the world i should like to know if taking this old declaration of independence which declares that all men are equal upon principle and making exceptions to it where will it stop if one man says it does not mean a negro why not another man say it does not mean some other man if that declaration is not the truth let us get the statute book in which we find it and tear it out who is so bold as to do it if it is not true let us tear it out cries of no no let us stick to it then let us stand firmly by it then noble utterance worthy of perpetual memory and he finishes his speech with a farewell truly apostolic i leave you hoping that the lamp of liberty will burn in your bosoms until there shall no longer be a doubt that all men are created free and equal he has left us now and for the last time i catch the closing benediction of that speech already sounding through the ages like a choral harmony the debate continued from place to place at bloomington july sixteen mr douglas denied again that colored persons could be citizens and then broke forth upon the champion i will not quarrel with mr lincoln for his views on that subject i have no doubt he is conscientious in them i have not the slightest idea but that he conscientiously believes that a negro ought to enjoy and exercise all the rights and privileges given to white men but i do not agree with him i believe that this government of ours was founded on the white basis i believe that it was established by white men i do not believe that it was the design or intention of the signers of the declaration of independence or the framers of the constitution to include negroes indians or other inferior races with white men as citizens he wants them to vote i am opposed to it if they had a vote i reckon they would all vote for him in preference to me entertaining the views i do then again at springfield the next day mr douglas repeated his denial that the colored man was embraced by the declaration and thus argued for the exclusion remember that at the time the declaration was put forth 
every one of the thirteen colonies were slaveholding colonies every man who signed that declaration represented slaveholding constituents did those signers mean by that act to charge themselves and all their constituents with having violated the law of god and holding the negro in an inferior condition to the white man and yet if they included negroes in that term they were bound as conscientious men that day and that hour not only to have abolished slavery throughout the land but to have conferred political rights and privileges on the negro and elevated him to an equality with the white man the declaration of independence only included the white people of the united states on the same evening at springfield the republican candidate while admitting that negroes are not our equal in color thus again spoke for the comprehensive humanity of the declaration i adhere to the declaration of independence if judge douglas and his friends are not willing to stand by it let them come up and amend it let them make it read that all men are created equal except negroes let us have it decided whether the declaration of independence in this blessed year of eighteen fifty eight shall be thus amended in his construction of the declaration last year he said it only meant that americans in america were equal to englishmen in england then when i pointed out to him that by that rule he excludes the germans the irish the portuguese and all other people who have come amongst us since the revolution he reconstructs his construction in his last speech he tells us it meant europeans i press him a little further and ask if it meant to include the russians in asia or does he mean to exclude that vast population from the principles of our declaration of independence i expect ere long he will introduce another amendment to his definition he is not at all particular it may draw white men down but it must not lift negroes up words like these are gratefully remembered they make the declaration what the fathers intended no mean declaration of oligarchic egotism but a charter and freehold for all mankind at ottawa august twenty first mr douglas still excluding the colored man from the declaration exclaimed i believe this government was made on the white basis i believe it was made by white men for the benefit of white men and their posterity forever again the republican champion took up the strain henry clay once said of a class of men who would repress all tendencies to liberty and ultimate emancipation that they must if they would do this go back to the era of our independence and muzzle the cannon which thunders its annual joyous return they must blow out the moral lights around us they must penetrate the human soul and eradicate there the love of liberty and then and not till then could they perpetuate slavery in this country to my thinking judge douglas is by his example and vast influence doing that very thing in this community when he says that the negro has nothing in the declaration of independence at jonesboro september fifteenth mr douglas once more assailed the rights of the colored race i am aware that all the abolition lecturers that you find travelling about through the country are in the habit of reading the declaration of independence to prove that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among which are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness 
mr lincoln is very much in the habit of following in the track of lovejoy in this particular by reading that part of the declaration of independence to prove that the negro was endowed by the almighty with the inalienable right of equality with white men now i say to you my fellow-citizens that in my opinion the signers of the declaration had no reference to the negro whatever when they declared all men to be created equal at galesburg october seventh his faithful opponent answered the judge has alluded to the declaration of independence and insisted that negroes are not included in that declaration and that it is a slander upon the framers of that instrument to suppose that negroes were meant therein and he asked you is it possible to believe that mr jefferson who penned the immortal paper could have supposed himself applying the language of that instrument to the negro race and yet held a portion of that race in slavery would he not at once have freed them i only have to remark upon this part of the judge's speech that i believe the entire records of the world from the date of the declaration of independence up to within three years ago may be searched in vain for one single affirmation from one single man that the negro was not included in the declaration and i will remind judge douglas and his audience that while mr jefferson was the owner of slaves as undoubtedly he was in speaking upon this very subject he used the strong language that he trembled for his country when he remembered that god is just and at alton october fifteenth he renewed this same testimony i assert that judge douglas and all his friends may search the whole records of the country and it will be a matter of great astonishment to me if they shall be able to find that one human being three years ago had ever uttered the astounding sentiment that the term all men in the declaration did not include the negro do not let me be misunderstood i know that more than three years ago there were men who finding this assertion constantly in the way of their schemes to bring about the ascendancy and perpetuation of slavery denied the truth of it i know that mr calhoun and all the politicians of his school denied the truth of the declaration i know that it ran along in the mouth of some southern men for a period of years ending at last in that shameful though rather forcible declaration of pettit of indiana upon the floor of the united states senate that the declaration of independence was in that respect a self-evident lie rather than a self-evident truth but i say with a perfect knowledge of all this hawking at the declaration without directly attacking it that three years ago there never had lived a man who had ventured to assail it in the sneaking way of pretending to believe it and then asserting it did not include the negro in another speech during the same political contest the champion spoke immortal words after setting forth the sublime opening of the declaration by our fathers he said this was their majestic interpretation of the economy of the universe this was their lofty and wise and noble understanding of the justice of the creator to his creatures yes gentlemen to all his creatures to the whole great family of man then lifted by his cause he appealed to his fellow-countrymen in tones of pathetic eloquence think nothing of me take no thought for the political fate of any man whomsoever but come back to the truths that are in the declaration of independence 
you may do anything with me you choose if you will but heed these sacred principles you may not only defeat me for the senate but you may take me and put me to death while pretending no indifference to earthly honours i do claim to be actuated in this contest by something higher than an anxiety for office i charge you to drop every paltry and insignificant thought for any man's success it is nothing i am nothing judge douglas is nothing but do not destroy that immortal emblem of humanity the declaration of american independence thus at that early day before war had overshadowed the land was he ready for the sacrifice take me and put me to death said he but do not destroy that immortal emblem of humanity the declaration of american independence he has been put to death by the enemies of the declaration but though dead he will continue to guard that great title-deed of the human race the debate ended an immense vote was cast there were a hundred and twenty six thousand eighty four votes for the republican candidates a hundred and twenty one thousand nine hundred and forty for the douglas candidates and five thousand ninety one for the lecompton candidates another class of democrats but the supporters of mr douglas had a majority of eight on joint ballot in the legislature and he was re-elected to the senate again returned to his profession our champion cherished the declaration to the republicans of boston who had invited him to unite with them in celebrating the birthday of thomas jefferson he sent an answer under date of april sixth eighteen fifty nine which is a gem in political literature and here also he asserts the supremacy of those truths for which he had battled so well in him the west spoke to the east pleading for human rights as declared by our fathers but soberly it is now no child's play to save the principles of jefferson from total overthrow in this nation one would state with great confidence that he could convince any sane child that the simpler propositions of euclid are true but nevertheless he would fail utterly with one who should deny the definitions and axioms the principles of jefferson are the definitions and axioms of free society and yet they are denied and evaded with no small show of success one dashingly calls them glittering generalities another bluntly calls them self-evident lies and others insidiously argue that they apply only to superior races these expressions differing in form are identical in object and effect the supplanting the principles of free government and restoring those of classification caste and legitimacy they would delight a convocation of crowned heads plotting against the people they are the vanguard the miners and sappers of returning despotism we must repulse them or they will subjugate us this is a world of compensations and he who would be no slave must consent to have no slaves those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves and under a just god cannot long retain it all honour to jefferson the man who in the concrete pressure of a struggle for national independence by a single people had the coolness forecast and capacity to introduce into a merely revolutionary document an abstract truth applicable to all men and all times 
and so to embalm it there that to-day and in all coming days it shall be a rebuke and a stumbling-block to the very harbingers of reappearing tyranny and oppression next winter the western champion appeared at new york and in a remarkable address at the cooper institute february twenty seventh eighteen sixty vindicated the policy of the fathers and the principles of the republican party showing with curious skill and minuteness the original understanding on the power of congress over slavery in the territories he demonstrated that the republican party was not in any just sense sectional and then exposed the perils from the pretensions of slave masters who not content with requiring that we must arrest and return their fugitive slaves with greedy pleasure insisted that the constitution must be so interpreted as to uphold the idea of property in man the whole address was subdued and argumentative while each sentence was like a driven nail with a concluding rally that was a bugle-call to the lovers of right let us have faith said he that right makes might and in that faith let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it a few months later this champion of the right who would not see the colored man shut out from the promises of the declaration and insisted upon the exclusion of slavery from the territories after summoning his countrymen to their duty was nominated by a great political party as candidate for president local considerations securing to him the support of certain states beyond any other candidate exercised a final influence in determining this selection but it is easy to see how from position character and origin he was at that moment especially the representative of his country the unity of the republic was menaced he was from that vast controlling northwest which would never renounce its communications with the sea whether by the mississippi or by eastern avenues the birthday declaration of the republic was dishonored in the denial of its primal truths he was already known as a volunteer in its defence republican institutions were in jeopardy he was the child of humble life through whom republican institutions would stand confessed these things so obvious now in the light of history were less apparent then in the turmoil of party but that providence in whose hands are the destinies of nations which had found out washington to conduct his country through the war of independence now found out lincoln to wage the new battle for the unity of the republic on the foundation of human rights the election took place of the popular votes abraham lincoln received one million eight hundred and sixty six thousand four hundred and fifty two carrying a hundred and eighty electoral ballots stephen a douglas received one million three hundred and seventy five thousand one hundred and fifty seven carrying twelve electoral votes john c breckinridge received eight hundred and forty seven thousand nine hundred and fifty three carrying seventy two electoral ballots and john bell received five hundred and ninety thousand six hundred and thirty one carrying thirty nine electoral ballots by this vote abraham lincoln became president the triumph at the ballot-box was flashed by telegraph over the whole country from north to south from east to west it was answered by defiance from the slave-masters speaking in the name of states rights and for the sake of slavery the declared will of the american people registered at the ballot-box was set at naught the conspiracy of years blazed into day 
the national government which alexander h stevens characterized as the best and freest government the most equal in its rights the most just in its decisions the most lenient in its measures and the most aspiring in its principles to elevate the race of men that the sun of heaven ever shone upon and which jefferson davis himself pronounced the best government which has ever been instituted by man that national government thus painted even by its enemies was spurned south carolina jumped forward first in crime and before the elected president turned his face from the beautiful western prairies to enter upon his dangerous duties state after state had undertaken to abandon its place in the union senator after senator had dropped from his seat fort after fort had been seized and the mutterings of war had begun to fill the air while the actual president besotted by slavery tranquilly witnessed the gigantic treason as he sat at ease in the executive mansion and did nothing it was time for another to come upon the scene you cannot forget how he left his village home never to return except under the escort of death in words of farewell to neighbors thronging about him he dedicated himself to his country and solemnly invoked the aid of divine providence i know not he said how soon i shall see you again and then with prophetic voice announced that a duty devolved upon him greater than that which has devolved upon any other man since the days of washington and asked his friends to pray that he might receive that divine assistance without which he could not succeed but with which success was certain to power and fame others have gone forth with gladness and with song he went forth prayerfully as to sacrifice nor can you forget how at each resting-place on the road he renewed his vows and when at independence hall his soul broke forth in homage to the vital truths there declared of all that he said on the journey to the national capital after farewell to his neighbors there is nothing so prophetic as these unpremeditated words all the political sentiments i entertain have been drawn so far as i have been able to draw them from the sentiments which originated in and were given to the world from this hall i have never had a feeling politically that did not spring from the sentiments embodied in the declaration of independence now my friends can this country be saved upon that basis if it can i shall consider myself one of the happiest men in the world if i can help to save it if it cannot be saved upon that principle it will be truly awful but if this country cannot be saved without giving up that principle i was about to say i would rather be assassinated on this spot than surrender it then after adding that he had not expected to say a word he repeated the consecration of his life exclaiming i have said nothing but what i am willing to live by and if it be the pleasure of almighty god to die by he was about to raise the national banner over the old hall but before this service he took up the strain he loved so well saying it is on such an occasion as this that we can reason together reaffirm our devotion to the country and the principles of the declaration of independence thus constantly did he bear testimony surely this grand fidelity will be ever counted among his chief glories i know nothing in history more touching especially when we consider that this devotion caused his sacrifice were there as many devils in worms as there are tiles upon the roofs i would enter said luther 
our reformer was less defiant but hardly less determined three times had he announced that for the great truths of the declaration he was willing to die three times had he offered himself on that altar three times had he vowed himself to this martyrdom slavery was already pursuing his life an attempt was made to throw his train from the track while a secreted hand-grenade further betrayed the diabolical purpose baltimore directly on his way was the seat of a murderous plot avoiding the conspirators he came from philadelphia to washington unexpectedly in the night and thus for the moment cheating assassination of its victim entered the national capital from this time forward his career broadens into the history of his country and of the age you all know it therefore a few glimpses will be enough that i may exhibit its moral rather than its story the inaugural address the formation of his cabinet his earliest acts his daily conversation all attested the spirit of moderation with which he approached his perilous position at the same time he declared openly that in contemplation of universal law and of the constitution the union of these states is perpetual that no state upon its own mere motion can lawfully get out of the union that resolves and ordinances to that effect are legally void that acts of violence within any state are insurrectionary or revolutionary and that to the extent of his ability he should take care according to express injunction of the constitution that the laws of the union be faithfully executed in all the states while thus positive in upholding the national unity he was resolved that on his part there would be no act of offence that there should be no bloodshed or violence unless forced upon the country that it was his duty to hold occupy and possess the property and places belonging to the government but beyond what was necessary for this object there should be no exercise of force and the people everywhere should be left in that perfect security most favourable to calm thought and reflection but the madness of slavery knew no bound it was determined from the beginning that the union should be broken and no moderation could change this wicked purpose a pretended power was organised in the form of a confederacy with slavery as the declared cornerstone you know what ensued fort sumter was attacked and after a fiery storm of shot and shell for thirty-four hours the national flag fell this was thirteenth april eighteen sixty one war had begun war is always a scourge never can it be regarded without sadness it is one of the mysteries of providence that such an evil is allowed to vex mankind few deprecated it more than the president from quaker blood and from reflection he was essentially a man of peace in one of his speeches during his short service in congress he arraigned military glory as that rainbow that rises in showers of blood that serpent's eye that charms but to destroy and when charged with the terrible responsibility of government he was none the less earnest for peace he was not willing to see his beloved country torn by bloody battle with fellow-citizens striking at each other but after the criminal assault on fort sumter there was no alternative the republic was in peril and every man from president to citizen was summoned to the defence 
nor was this all an attempt was made to invest slavery with national independence and the president who disliked both slavery and war described his own condition when addressing a member of the society of friends he said your people have had and are having very great trials on principle and faith opposed to both war and oppression they can only practically oppose oppression by war in these few words the whole case is stated inasmuch as whatever might be the pretensions of states rights the war became necessary to overcome the baleful ambition of slavery the slave masters put in execution a conspiracy long contrived for which they had prepared the way first by teaching that any state might at its own will break from the union and secondly by teaching that colored persons were so far inferior as not to be embraced in the promises of the declaration of independence but were justly held as slaves the mephistopheles of slavery mr calhoun inculcated for years both these pretensions but the pretension of state rights was a cover for slavery therefore in determining that the slave masters should be encountered two things were resolved first that this republic is one and indivisible and secondly that no hideous power with slavery blazoned on its front shall be created on our soil here was affirmation and denial first affirmation of the national unity and secondly denial of any independent foothold to rebel slavery accepting the challenge at fort sumter the president became the voice of the nation which with stern resolve insisted that the rebellion should be overcome by war the people were in earnest and would not brook hesitation if ever in history war was necessary if ever in history war was holy it was the war then and there begun for the arrest and overthrow of rebel slavery the case between the two sides is stated first in the words of jefferson davis and then in the words of abraham lincoln the representative of slavery said the time for compromise has now passed and the south is determined to maintain her position and make all who oppose her smell southern powder and feel southern steel if coercion is persisted in our separation from the old union is now complete no compromise no reconstruction is now to be entertained abraham lincoln said in my view of the present aspect of affairs there need be no bloodshed or war i am not in favor of such a course and i may say in advance that there will be no bloodshed unless it be forced upon the government and then it will be compelled to act in self-defense and so issue was joined it was plain from the first cannon shot that the rebellion was nothing but slavery in arms but such was the power of slavery even in the free states that months elapsed before the giant criminal was directly assailed generals in the field were tender towards it as if it were a church or a work of the fine arts only under the teaching of disaster was the country moved the first step in congress followed the defeat at bull run still the president hesitated disasters thickened and graves opened until at last the country saw that by justice only could we hope for divine favor and the president who leaned so closely upon the popular heart pronounced that great word by which slaves were set free let it be named forever to his glory that even tardily he grasped the thunderbolt under which the rebellion staggered to its fall 
that following up the blow he enlisted colored citizens as soldiers and declared his final purpose never to retract or modify the emancipation proclamation nor to return into slavery any person free by the terms of that instrument or by any act of congress saying grandly if the people should by whatever mode or means make it an executive duty to re-enslave such persons another and not i must be their instrument to perform it it is sometimes said that the proclamation was of doubtful constitutionality if such criticism does not proceed from sympathy with slavery it evidently proceeds from prevailing superstition with regard to this idol future jurists will read with astonishment that such a flagrant wrong could be considered at any time as having any rights which a court was bound to respect and especially that rebels in arms could be considered as having any title to the services of people whose allegiance was primarily due to the united states but turning from these conclusions it seems obvious that slavery standing exclusively on local law without support in natural law must have fallen with the local government both legally and constitutionally legally inasmuch as it ceased to have any valid legal support and constitutionally inasmuch as it came at once within the exclusive jurisdiction of the constitution where liberty is the supreme law the president did not act upon these principles but speaking with the voice of authority said let the slaves be free what court and congress hesitated to declare he proclaimed and thus enrolled himself among the world's emancipators from the proclamation of emancipation placing its author so far above human approach that human envy cannot reach him i carry you for one moment to our foreign relations the convulsion here was felt in the most distant places as at the great earthquake of lisbon when that capital seemed about to be submerged there was commotion of the waters in our northern lakes all europe was stirred there too was the slavery question in another form in an unhappy moment under an ill-considered allegation of necessity which milton tells us was the plea by which the fiend excused his devilish deeds england accorded to rebel slavery the rights of belligerence on the ocean and then proceeded to open her ports to surrender her workshops and to let loose her merchant ships in aid of this wickedness forgetting all relations of alliance and amity with the united states forgetting all logic of english history forgetting all distinctions of right and wrong and forgetting also that a new power founded on slavery was a moral monster with which a just nation could have nothing to do to appreciate the character of this concession we must comprehend clearly the whole vast unprecedented crime of the rebellion taking its complexion from slavery undoubtedly it was criminal to assail the unity of this republic and thus destroy its peace and impair its example in the world but the attempt to build a new power on slavery as a cornerstone and with no other declared object of separate existence was more than criminal or rather it was a crime of that untold unspeakable guilt which no language can depict and no judgment can be too swift to condemn the associates in this terrible apostasy might rebuke each other in the words of an old dramatist thou must do then what no malevolent star will dare to look on it is so wicked 
for which men will curse thee for being the instrument and the blessed angels forsake me at my need for being the author for tis a deed of night of night francisco in which the memory of all good actions we can pretend to shall be buried quick or if we be remembered it shall be to fright posterity by our example that have outdone all precedents of villains that were before us an expression of opinion on the great question involved and a guide to public duty and of part seven